0: It is the second Sunday of Advent, and today we will talk about the peace of the Lord. Our text today will be Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And of course, this is the familiar verse in Luke's gospel that gives the account of the shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks when the angels appear to them to announce the birth of the savior Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace Goodwill toward men. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that proclamation of peace and goodwill toward men. We thank you, Lord, that you have declared peace on earth. And you have indeed brought peace through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important peace the most vital peace that is peace with you father we thank you for the grace you have poured out in making us your children when we were your enemies father we thank you for that grace given to us in jesus christ we thank you for that peace lord let your church walk in peace, be a beacon of peace, a harbinger of peace, that your name would be glorified. But Father, help us to remember how that peace was won, the cost of that peace, the price of that peace. And may we be willing also to wage the good fight to see your peace reign on earth, even as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At the announcement of the birth of Christ to the shepherds, The angel and a multitude of the heavenly hosts made the proclamation of peace on earth. The angel sang this declaration with the heavenly host, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The coming of Christ which is what Advent celebrates, Christ's coming. The coming of Christ means the coming of peace. This was true at the first coming of Christ in his birth, and it is true for the future coming of Christ in his return. First and foremost, the peace human beings need is peace with God. It doesn't take much to look around if we just are halfway aware that the world is looking for peace, searching for peace, desperate for peace, but the problem is they're looking in all the wrong places. It's like that old song that probably most of you are too young to remember, that old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places looking for love in all the wrong faces? Well, it's the same way with peace. We're looking for peace, but we're looking for it in the wrong place, and we're looking for it in the wrong face. Jesus is the only one who is our peace. In Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. Concept of peace in Hebrew conveys the sense of wholeness, unity, harmony. In other words, our concept of peace can, be, can tend to be much more shallow than what peace the Bible actually teaches us about. The shalom of God, the peace of God is much more complex than what we might think. Shalom is something that is complete and sound. Peace is essentially a relational concept, though it can also carry the connotation of prosperity and health and fulfillment, but that's all part of the wholeness that shalom speaks about. The Greek word translated peace in our New Testament is less relational in the context of Greek culture. So the word for peace in Greek really spoke of this orderly, prosperous life that was made possible when there wasn't conflict or war. The New Testament use of this word does not reflect Greek culture. So when the writers of the New Testament speak of peace, they're not thinking about peace in the terms of the Greek culture, they're thinking about peace in terms of shalom, And so, the New Testament use of the word does not reflect Greek culture, but is defined and enriched by the Old Testament Hebrew word, shalom. The concept of peace in the New Testament is consistent with the Old Testament concept of shalom. The emphasis is on the relational aspect of peace, the harmony that we have with God and therefore with one another. If we don't have any harmony with God, it's going to be hard for us to have harmony with one another. It is the relational aspect of peace that is most often emphasized in Scripture. There is none more important, there's none more important relationship than the relationship man has with God. And I want to emphasize again first and foremost, the peace human beings need is peace with God. This is the peace that Jesus came to secure for us. Therefore, peace is the restoration of a harmonious relationship with God and with one another. As the body of Christ, there must be restoration and peace with our head as well as with the other members of the one body. If we don't have peace with our head, we're not going to have peace with the other members. If there is no restoration with our head, there is no restoration with the other members of the body. The world very often thinks that peace is about a ceasefire. And we see this daily in the news. As the world is calling for a ceasefire, a ceasefire from the war that's raging in the Middle East. But if we look at the root of that war, the root of that war is spiritual. It has everything to do with God and the rejection of God on both sides of the issue. And the world wants to believe that peace is as simply as negotiating a ceasefire. But that's, that's not how peace works. And even if we caused all the wars in all the earth to stop, but yet we were not restored. If we did not have peace with our God, there would be no peace, even though there may be a cessation of hostilities. Because the hostility in our hearts, in our minds, within ourselves, that is really what we see externalized in war would still be there. The peace on earth that Christ has secured for us means that our once Shattered lives are again made whole, and we become in Christ what God has predestined us to be. You can read about that in Romans 8, 29, and 30. Your destiny, according to the Bible, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, that is your destiny. You don't have to wonder about your destiny, your purpose. If you belong to Jesus, your purpose is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Peace means our relationship with God is restored. And what was once broken is now made whole. The proclamation of peace made by the angels to the shepherds and to the whole world, in fact, is a proclamation of the redemptive work of Christ. This is the true meaning of Christmas. The glory for that redemptive work belongs solely to God and to none other. For it pleased the Father to make peace through the blood of His Son. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And by Him, that is by Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The glory of God could be exhibited in no greater way than the Father reconciling all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his Son on the cross. What we must not forget, what we must not minimize, is the price that was paid for our redemption. Thus the proclamation of glory to God in the highest. The praise of redeeming man belongs to God for the costly price that was paid through the lifeblood of the Son of God. That redemption has brought peace on earth, good will toward men. That peace was brought to us while man was the hostile enemy of God. I want you to Be sure you do not misunderstand this. God did not bring us peace when he thought we were ready to receive it. God did not bring us peace because he thought we were a little more peaceful than we were before. God brought peace and proclaimed peace upon this earth when we were the hostile enemies of God, not looking for his peace, not wanting his peace, but content in our sin content in our rebellion against Him. God's peace and goodwill was in no way contingent upon man. It was an act of pure grace initiated by God as He had promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden at the fall of Adam. In fact, that promised peace went even further back then the garden as we see Jesus called the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The promised seed was finally here to crush the head of the serpent and bring shalom through the atoning work of the cross. Romans 5.1, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace Christ provides through the blood of his cross, makes us whole and complete before the Father. And this is the very essence of shalom. There is a price for peace. If we think about how our peace was achieved, it is not a pretty picture. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah concerning the price of our peace. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, or the punishment for our peace, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The punishment for our peace was laid upon Jesus. He took the punishment for us so that he could give to us shalom with God and with one another. We hear the Christmas story, and we think of the little babe in the manger and the peaceful scene of a mother and child, but that babe in the manger was born to die a brutal death for a brutal humanity. He lived and died and lived again so that we too may die and live again in his resurrection life. He was born to die in order to defeat death, Even in his birth, death reared its ugly head in an effort to destroy him. Herod's sinful lust for power cost the life of innocent children. He had slaughtered as he stopped at nothing in his greed for power by any means. Try as they might, Herod and his dark lord Satan could not destroy the one who would conquer all and even destroy death itself. Jesus was born to die and there is no beauty to behold in beholding the Savior on the cross. It is in sin. It is sin in full display. That's what we look upon when we look upon the cross was the full display of sin. What sin did to the Savior, what the Savior submitted himself to in order for sin to be defeated and overcome and give to us peace and freedom and life. The gruesome horror, the pain and suffering, the raw flesh and blood of Christ's body broken for us on the cross is beyond our ability to comprehend. Then consider the most horrific part. When sinless Jesus, taking all of our sin upon himself, cries out to his Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we look upon that babe in the manger, we must be reminded to look upon the crucified Savior, for that is why he was born. That is why he came. The price of peace was not cheap. In fact, the price of our peace is beyond costly. But it is the price Christ was willing to pay. And he paid that price for the joy set before him, for the redemption of his people and for the glory of his Father. Christ won the peace by waging war and defeating his enemies. Christ did not come to enter into negotiations with the devil. That's what we want to do today. We want to enter into negotiations in order to achieve peace. That is not how Jesus achieved peace. He did not come and enter into negotiations. He came and he waged war. He came to destroy the devil and his works, 1 John 3a, and he has done just that. Our victory is secure because Christ waged the good fight, the good war, and he won. He overcome. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all in their lifetime subject to bondage. Christ did not come. Christ did come, and he paid the price to provide our peace and destroy the devil and his works and release those who were subject to bondage. This is how Christ brought peace on earth. He waged war and he won. He is the ruler of all. He is the prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Isaiah prophesied the coming of this prince of peace. Listen to his words. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want us to stop for a moment. I want to read that last part of the verse again. I want you to hear what the prophet declared seven centuries before the birth of Christ. I want you to hear what the prophet declared, not just concerning the birth of a child who would be called the Prince of Peace, but what that peace would actually achieve and how that peace would increase without end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This child shall be called the Prince of Peace. And Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is why we are post-millennial in our theology here at Christ Fellowship Church. Because the Bible doesn't say that Jesus will come and bring peace, but then all of a sudden the darkness is going to overcome that peace and it's not only going to stop, but it's going to decrease till it doesn't exist anymore, until one day Jesus suddenly comes back. And then he's going to make all things right. That's not what Isaiah said. That's not what the prophet said. And if we believe the prophet to be true then we need to believe all that the prophet said to be true. That the child wasn't just born, he's not just the prince of peace, but of the increase of his government in peace, there shall be no end. Christian, are you hopeful? Or do you watch the news and read the newspaper and find yourself hopeless? Because it just seems like we can't solve any of the problems in the world. And I know what the Bible says, but... Man, I watch the news every day, and it seems like the news is trumping what the Bible says. Because I can see the images. I can see the death and destruction. I read my Bible. I hear what it's saying. I see what it's saying. But what I am seeing with my eyes in real time seems to be more believable than what I'm reading. Some prophet wrote 700 years before the birth of Christ now some 2,700 years ago. What do you believe? Do you believe your eyes or do you believe God's word? Do you walk by sight or do you walk by faith? Do you believe that the increase of his government and peace shall have no end? Do you believe that is real and happening even right now? with everything else happening in this world? Do you believe that? You should, because that's exactly what the Scripture says. Do you believe what's happening in a moment in time, or do you believe what's happening over the course of God's story we call history? And there is history past, there is history present, and there is history yet to be lived and yet to be written because his story continues. The prophet Micah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, foretold the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. He goes on to declare, and this one shall be peace, Micah 5.5. Think about those words. This one shall be peace Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians that Jesus is himself our peace Ephesians two fourteen. Jesus is our peace has the darkness overcome Jesus has sin overcome Jesus has the war in the Middle East overcome Jesus Has all the problems of the world and all the unrest and all the conflict and all the lack of peace in the world overcome Jesus? No, it has not. The peace, the shalom of God is much greater than whether we have a war in the Middle East or not. It's much greater than whether we have division in our country or not. The shalom of God is much greater than everything that's happening in the natural, in our circumstantial situations. The shalom of God transcends all of that. The peace of Christ transcends all of that. That's why it's called a peace that surpasses understanding. I don't understand exactly. So stop trying to make sense of a world that is senseless and look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Not in your senses, not in your ability to make sense, to understand why can't people just get along? Because they have no peace with God, that's why. Because if they won't get along with God, they won't make peace with God. And there's only one way to make peace with God. And it's not the way the bumper sticker that says coexist tells us how we should get along. There's only one way to make peace with God it is to find yourself crucified with Christ, where you are able to say, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The only way to have peace with God is through His Son, is to be justified by faith in the Son of God. Jesus is our peace. And he provides for us what is called a peace that surpasses understanding. That peace will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Prince of Peace. That's who he is. He is our Prince of Peace. We are to be anxious for nothing, but take all things to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving, knowing that God's all-surpassing peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ, Philippians 4, 6. The peace that passes understanding is not just a surpassing peace concerning my life circumstances or a supreme inner peace that all is well or that all will one day be well. I'm not saying it's not those things, but it's not only those things. The peace that passes understanding is just that. It is a peace that surpasses our ability to understand our ability to define. The peace of God is beyond our humanness and thankfully it's not conditioned upon our understanding it. You don't have God's peace because you understand it. You don't have God's peace because you can make sense of it. You don't have a peace that passes understanding because you understand everything. Jesus provides that all-encompassing peace for us. And he did that before you understood it, before you were aware of it. He did that while you were his enemy. He raised you up, not when you were looking for him, but when you were opposed to him, dead in your sin. He gave you peace. He brought you peace, not because you wanted it, not because you were looking for it, but because he chose to give it to you. I would submit that his peace is ours in Christ, whether we may feel it or not. His peace is ours, whether we experience it. In those moments, we may desperately need it and seek it. His peace does not come and go. doesn't Fade away. It doesn't flit away, but it abides with us, and it abides in us in Christ. What does that mean? That means the peace of God, the peace that was proclaimed by those angels to those shepherds that night, is a peace you have, whether you realize it or not, in Christ. What I'm saying is you can be in Christ and have the surpassing peace of God and you not walk in that peace, realize you have that peace because you're walking according to your feelings, your emotions. You're walking according to the flesh instead of by the Spirit. And you're being driven by your emotions instead of trusting in God's infallible eternal word that declares God has proclaimed his peace, and it belongs to you. It is yours in Jesus. Listen to the words of Christ, John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the word gives to you, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, I leave you with the peace. I give to you a peace that's not like the world's peace. Because the world's peace fades away. It comes and it goes. The peace we have in Jesus is not like the world's peace. It is not just a temporal peace but an abiding peace that does not fade away or ebb and flow with our circumstances. The peace of Christ endures eternally. Think about the peace the world is looking for. Think about how it ebbs and flows with our circumstances. How are you? Well, today I'm doing great, man, everything's good. Next day, how are you? Oh, it's terrible. I'm not saying our circumstances don't change. I'm saying the peace of God doesn't change. I'm saying it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, the peace of God is yours. It abides forever in Christ. So it's not that we're living in denial of our circumstances. That's disrupting my peace. It's that I need to renew my mind to the reality of God's peace that surpasses my circumstances. The peace that abides and transcends whatever my circumstance might be, no matter how much I dislike it. We are too conformed to the world. We allow the world to conform Our minds, we already have a mind, a carnal mind that needs to be renewed to the spiritual mind. Paul says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way we're going to walk in the abiding, eternal peace that we have in Christ is for us to continually be renewing our mind to that truth, to that reality. Because we're living in a world that is constantly trying to conform us to its way of thinking. Trying to get us to buy into its brand of peace instead of the peace that surpasses understanding. The peace that comes from God in Jesus Christ. And if we are not constantly renewing our mind to the truth through the word of God, in fellowship with God then just by living in this world and being pressed upon by this world the way it presses upon us all the time, constantly, you will begin to be more conformed to this world than you are conformed to God. And this is why the Scripture exhorts us to read the word, to meditate on the word, to stay in the word, to go to the word, and to wash our minds with the water of the word so that we are being conformed to Christ. Now, the good news is, you being conformed to Christ, though you have a part to play in that, ultimately, it is God who's going to do that. But what I'm saying is, if we would cooperate with God instead of going kicking and screaming, if we would cooperate with God, that process would be much less painful and much more efficient. The peace we have in Christ should inform us how we are to live. As we have peace with God, being justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we are to also have peace with one another. The admonition in Scripture to love God and love our neighbor is not optional. I'm going to say that again. The admonition in Scripture to love God and love our neighbor is not optional. It is God's command. In fact, we cannot love God if we do not love our neighbor. That's not what I say. That's what the Apostle John says in his letter. If you say you love God but hate your brother, the love of God is not in you and you are a liar. And so we'll say, well, yeah, I, well, I, I love him, I just don't like him. <laughs> I can love him from a distance. I can love her from a distance. Hmm? Would you want God to love you that way? Would you want God to say about you, well, you know, I love him, I just don't like him very much. I'll, I'll just love him from a distance. I'll just. Stay up here, removed from them, and just kind of love them from a distance. Is that the way we want God to love us? No. Is that the way God loves us? No. God gets right here in our midst, in our mess. We have a God who doesn't demand that we sacrifice ourselves for Him. He first sacrificed Himself for us, He does invite us to die be crucified with him, but only after he walked that path himself. He came to die for us because he knew there was no other way for us to live for him. Our love for God, our love for one another, therefore must be more than just lip service. We are commanded to love one another and so be at peace with one another even as we have peace with God. God making peace with us was never disconnected from our peace with one another. Let's go back to this word shalom. It wasn't just that God's people were to have peace with God. It's that the shalom of God Would permeate their whole being, not just personally, but corporately. The shalom of God, the peace of God, is not just what I have personally, it's what we are to have corporately. God making peace with us was never disconnected from our peace with one another Jesus said they will know you are my disciples if you love one another love is difficult to see in the midst of conflict but our peace with one another opens the way for love to be seen and love to be known God wants us to know his peace and he wants His peace to be known in us and through us. And we were we need to remember how Jesus won the peace. It wasn't through compromise, it wasn't through negotiation. He waged a war and won. He didn't run from the conflict. He ran to the conflict and overcame. May we remember the price that was paid for our peace. May we never forget that His peace is not deserved, but freely given by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our salvation means we have peace with God and so we are to have peace with one another. And when we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our spirit, and we love our neighbor as ourself, we will know that God's peace is not just a concept in our heads, but it is the reality of our life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us prepare to come to his table of peace and let us celebrate with thankful hearts the abundance of his peace and his grace poured out to us in Jesus Christ. Stand for your charge, please. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger while shepherds were out watching their flocks. The angel appeared to the shepherds to announce the birth of the Savior. Then a multitude of the heavenly hosts sang out, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Psalm 85 verse 8, the psalmist writes, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints, but let them not turn back the folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed, truth shall spring out of the earth And righteousness shall look down from heaven. Well, righteousness did not just look down from heaven, but righteousness came down from heaven and was made flesh and dwelt among us and has brought us peace. And may you walk in that peace. May you demonstrate that peace. May you witness that peace to a world that is desperate for peace and looking for it in all the wrong places. May we, church, be the witness to the truth that there is peace in only one. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is our peace. May you walk in that peace. May you show the world where true peace can be found. Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.